But I think it does all stem from the self-confidence in Christ, not the self-confidence in yourself, because that's where all the insecurities, I think, are heightened. But when that self-confidence is coming from a place of humility and like recognizing Christ's value in you, that is where your own insecurities are diminished. Welcome to the Extraordinary Lives Podcast, where we talk about lives that go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, with the extra being Jesus. We'll be encouraged with amazing stories and helpful insights from the lives of ordinary people who have that extra, that supernatural difference that only Jesus can give. I'm your host, Ellen Bennett. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to welcome Mackenzie Zorn today. You've heard a little bit of her story from her mom, Cynthia, but today we get to actually hear from Mackenzie herself. Welcome, Mackenzie. So glad that you can be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. Well, tell me a little bit about your family growing up in Carlsbad, right? Yes. Okay, so born and raised in Carlsbad, California, with an older brother who's six years older than me and my two parents. My mom's from here and my dad's from the East Coast, New Jersey. But he moved out here during his college years, and that's how we met my mom. Oh, that's so fun. Okay. And tell me a little bit about when did you come to know Jesus? Yeah, from a very young age. Every weekend we'd go to church and my mom was involved in the children's ministry. And so I think I might have been four. I want to say. Okay. But I think it's different when you understand as a kid and then as you grow older, you have a different insight on it or perspective, or it seems more not tangible, but in a way real. Yeah. Tell me how that came about for you. For me, I just saw that God got me through many hardships in my life and also with my family and like just gave my mom hope especially with my narcolepsy. When I was like 10, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy and that was a hard time for both me and my family. And I just saw like the hope that my mom had for me through Christ when I didn't have that for myself. And I think that seeing that inspired me to like continue to have my faith in Christ. And then I've seen him work in other ways in my life, like being able to see like how I can use my narcolepsy and the struggles I've gone through to help others and not just let them defeat me. That's great. You know, it's so interesting because your mom's story mentions how you were such a great encouragement to her too. So I love that. It goes back and forth, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your narcolepsy being diagnosed and what that's meant for your life and how you've seen God help you through that and also use your story for for his kingdom and to help others. Yes, I was, I think, nine when I first started having really bad symptoms. And then when I was 10, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy. And so I have narcolepsy with cataplexy. And narcolepsy is an autoimmune disease and neurological disease. Basically, you have a autoimmune reaction normally that your brain attacks itself. Yes. And so in one part of my brain that produces hypocretin, which is a sleep neurotransmitter that was attacked when I got severely sick one time. And so my immune system attacked itself. 
and I had the genetic marker for narcolepsy, which like was passed down from my dad. So some of it's hereditary too. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like slowly developed symptoms with that, but I also have cataplexy, which is a, I'd say it's um, not a symptom of narcolepsy, but it can come hand in hand with it. And that basically is when you feel intense emotion, your body loses muscle tone and it's different for everyone. So for me, it's um, when I feel like laughter or joy with like my family specifically, when my brother makes me laugh that will cause first like my face loses muscle tone and then my body so like i can just collapse like a rag doll mm. but with medication that helps and like uh, lifestyle adjustment for sleep and everything so that's the gist of cataplexy and same with narcolepsy with having that specific part of your brain attack itself which is like the sleep control area you fall asleep a lot during the day almost like all day but when in doing so that's not um, restful sleep and so at night when your brain is trying to find like for normal people to fall asleep you're unable to and like you wake up every three minutes and so without medicine it's very difficult to uh function boy that sounds exhausting and Having no sleep brings out so many other things, doesn't it? I'm thinking being able to concentrate and learn, for me, it'd be definitely irritability. Yeah. Looking back, yes. Wow. That would be tough. So tell me how you went about getting it diagnosed and finding medicine that would work. I would say my mom was a huge factor for that and her persistence because the doctors at the time, even at like some very cutting edge hospitals here, like in San Diego, they were not as aware or they didn't have much exposure to narcolepsy, I feel like. And so when it was presented with them, they didn't even think of that, especially with the presentation of cataplexy. It can look like epilepsy, but it's not. And that's easily ruled out, but then there's just confusion left. And so so like it took my mom like being persistent with doctors and not accepting that they just didn't know as this is something. And so I finally got a sleep study done and I was diagnosed like a year later from a doctor at Stanford. Great. Tell me a little bit about your faith and just what you've been through as far as your faith in God goes with this whole experience. Yeah, I'd say I was definitely mad at first. Yeah, mad at first, but like not in a like a angry way, more like a questioning of like why me way. But I also knew that he doesn't give you anything negative or at least that I don't believe he does. And so I knew that my questioning was just like misplaced and more like trying to come up with an answer that no one has. I just got sick and my autoimmune system attacked itself, unfortunately. And so once I finally came to terms, I think with that, it did me no help, like just wallowing in self-pity and it didn't do my family any good because I was like no fun to be around. And so I, uh, that's when I realized I was like, okay, well, I'm stuck with this. So I should use it to benefit others. And um, that's when 
I really saw like God begin to work in my life. Once I finally accepted it, it took me through being diagnosed and uh, starting when I was like 10. Fortunately, I was homeschooled until high school. So that really helped because I would say if I were in school at that time, it would be much harder to notice that someone has narcolepsy because like you're all tired and falling asleep on your books at that age. And so fortunately, my mom recognized that I needed some flexibility, but also we were able to use the homeschooling and like if I because of the narcolepsy, like with certain medicines, you can basically fall asleep whenever you take the medicine for sleeping at night. And so I could do my work as it is, but if I wanted to stay up later and get more work done, I could do that and go to bed later. And so it's not like a traditional sleep schedule, but it worked for me. And so I'd say it took until I was in high school to get the medications like actually pinpointed. So that's like four years. Yeah. But also I think it's because like through that time, your body's changing too because of like puberty and stuff. Right. And so the medication doses, that all is affected in that. Got it. Yes. It takes a real maturity. And also I would even think God just helping you to, to be able to process this and get through it, to not want to just wallow in it. I think a lot of people, I don't know what I would do even, would be willing just to kind of stay there in that place of feeling sorry for myself and why me? And this is so hard. So my hat's off to you for being able to move out of that. And then also to stay positive about God and his character and his love for you and his goodness. Mm-hmm. That's amazing too. Yeah. Thank you. My step cousin, she had leukemia. And so watching her go through that in high school, yeah, that would have been around the time I had narcolepsy or was diagnosed with that. And so watching that, I knew that I could have a way more worse. And so I was grateful because like mine normally won't kill you, but hers the odds were not good. And so now she's doing great. But watching her deal with that, I was like, it's kind of selfish of me to like, here I am. Like, so I think that also helped me get my perspective straight a lot faster than had I not had people in my life who were still positive, even though they had it way worse than me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. And tell me just a little bit about what you have done with narcolepsy and being a spokesperson. Okay. Yes. I was a youth ambassador for Narcolepsy Network. So for that, I basically informed anyone from an elevator speech for a mom and a child to teachers, faculty, staff at a school, or even like at a fire department on narcolepsy and cataplexy and what it presents itself as, but also how to be an advocate and tailor it to whoever you're speaking to. Also with that, like how to be an advocate for oneself if you have narcolepsy. Colleges normally have more resources, so they can help you a bit more where in high school you don't have that. And so as a youth ambassador, I also trained other youth ambassadors in 2016. And that's where I taught them how to be an advocate for themselves and then how to advocate for other people in narcolepsy also by just educating others on it. Good. Well, thank you. 
Well, tell me a little bit about what you're up to these days. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your time in Italy as well. Yes. These days, I'm honestly just powering out with school on my final semester. And so just really my days are school, study, and then I like to golf or go to the driving range if I have time or go to the gym or play beach volleyball on the weekends if it's sunny. And then what I'd like to do upon graduation is do medical device sales. And so currently I'm looking for applications for that. Great. Great. And tell me a little bit about your Italy experience and becoming an EMT in Florence. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. So I went to Italy in 2020 to study abroad for only six months from January 2020 to May 2020. And then COVID hit in February 2020. All the Americans were sent home. And honestly, like all the other institutions like from other countries were sent home. So the only people left in Italy were either if you chose to stay as a visitor uh, or like with a visa, student visa, or if you were an, already an expat. And so everyone left and I chose to stay because the school obviously was now online because I was taking it in Italy. And so that'd be online. And my parents recognized that, okay, all these Americans are coming home on planes now where there's COVID in Italy, like yes. or they didn't have a name for it, but a virus and now it's coming to America. So it'll probably be soon that it's here. So if you feel comfortable staying, Mackenzie, we support you. And so that was a big thing for me choosing to stay. And then also I'd always dreamed about studying abroad and we didn't know how long this would last or if it was just like a short, like two week scare. And so I finished out that semester. And then during the summer of 2020, in Italy, like regulations opened up a bit because infections had flared down. And so during that time, for one month, actually, I traveled by myself just up the coast of Italy, the east coast of it. And so at the time, I was living in Florence. And so I just went to the east and north. And then I also flew to Sicily and traveled around there. And then I came back to Florence. And that is when I, for the rest of my summer, I took a course every day to become an EMT. I like found out about that because I was taking a biomedical ethics class through the Florence University. And the professor of that is a physician and he has his own ambulance team. I had expressed interest and he was like, okay, if you uh, can learn the Italian and pass the course and the exam and practical, then you can do this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think also it probably sounds very like, huh, learning a different language like that fast. Yes. But I think <laughs> that is the beauty of immersion. Yeah. And yes. just not having people to speak English to. So I'd get so excited, honestly, if I heard an American like English, English is being yeah. spoken. But it was great though, because it made me learn Italian very fast. That's how I think I was able to become an EMT through my fast paced learning Italian out of necessity before that for the six months. And then I was a EMT for the rest of that year because, okay, that was summer when I did that, passed it. And then with my student visa, although I was no longer taking classes through my school for the study abroad in Florence, I still needed to take classes for my student visa. And so I took 
classes for another six months there that finished out the year. And at that time, I'd taken a gap year or a leave of absence from my university. And so Christmas comes, like COVID's still very locked down in Italy. I had made some friends, which was great. But again, it's so strict there. It was kind of depressing. And so there's different zones of Italy, and that's how they regulated, um, okay, if this zone is red, like you, you can't do anything. If this zone is like yellow, that means you can like walk around a bit and like exercise outside. If this zone is green, you can have the cafes open for to go. And so because of that, I got the idea to move to a different zone of Italy. And so I moved from Florence to Rome. And that was in December 2020. And then I stayed in Rome until that August 2021. And again, I was taking classes uh, because I had another six months with my leave of absence that I could do and with the student visa it's allowed. And so that is what I did. And then I stayed during the summer and traveled. That's great. My son and daughter-in-law were living in Italy at that time too. And I just remember... You know, at first, they really couldn't go out of their apartment. They could only go to the grocery store and the pharmacy. At times, they could go out to exercise, but even that was taken away for a while. So they ended up taking some classes online, too, and working more on the social media aspect. But I could imagine that would be a very tough time and very isolating. At least they had each other. You know, you you were just there on your own. Yeah. That is definitely something I realized about myself. Ever since I started college, I have lived alone, not because I necessarily wanted to, but I didn't know anyone going into it. And because of my sleep disorder and the medicine I take, it was better for my parents for me to have like my own apartment as a commuter right across the street. And so I've always lived alone and like known how to take care of myself in that way. But it's a whole different ball game when you uh, don't have that human interaction throughout your day if you're a social person. So it's like always you alone 24-7. That definitely takes its toll. So I would actually purposely only buy groceries enough for one day just so I could go to the grocery store every day to see people. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about what you're passionate about these days. I'm hearing medicine in there some due to your narcolepsy, your becoming an EMT, and also wanting to sell medical devices. Mm -hmm. What are you passionate about for your future career-wise, but as well as just in your free time and even spiritually as well? Okay. Career-wise, I would like to get into medical device sales. Again, because I know the importance of medicine and devices, but also I know the importance of being able to teach someone how to use something in like an accurate way, whoever it is, if they're doctors or nurses or even parents, whatever the device is, they can do it in a way that is least invasive for the patient and makes the most positive experience for the patient. And so I'm passionate about that. But also, I see that I come to have like a very open mind about what I want to do with medical device sales. I'm like open to 
anything from like the sales and marketing aspect to working with like the clinics or doctors and showing them how to use a device and possibly I'm interested in doing, I think it's called a surgery technician. You can be in the surgeries and make sure that everything is done correctly with whatever's being implemented as the device goes, but that will come later. But also with most of the companies I'm looking at and what gets me excited is that a lot of them are global. And upon studying abroad, I really learned that I love the ability to thrive. I've gotten comfortable being uncomfortable. And so it inspires me to be able to have a job opportunity that could be in another country for a year or six months, being like a team leader for a project or something for device sales. Great, great. And then tell me about what you're passionate about in your free time and then also spiritually. Okay. Yes. Normally my free time goes to sports, I'd say, or exercise. So beach volleyball has been a big thing that I've gotten more involved in recently. That has been great because the beach volleyball scene where I live is a lot more inclusive than I thought it'd be. And people are just very genuine and outgoing and it's just a positive atmosphere so that's really inspiring and then also in my free time I'd love to do art and draw but I haven't had much time for that recently or like try new cafes or whatever and bring a book that I enjoy reading hopefully I'll get more time for that in the upcoming months (laughs) yes and then spiritually i honestly really miss playing instruments, being in a worship band. Yeah. I would love to hear some stories about how you've seen Jesus impact your life. Do you have any stories to share? I definitely think the support of my family and Jesus got me through. I was pretty depressed like during that time in Italy when I think we were isolated from February to May. And it would have been like around the March and April time after like a month and a half of that. That was like pretty rough for me because even just like close proximity with anyone like I didn't have. And so that was like very like, man, I just like want my mom to hug me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I definitely saw like God get me through that. And yeah. Because like I didn't feel alone in that way. Uh, Well, during that time, it gave me a lot of time to myself. So I actually had time to draw and do artwork and read my Bible and do devotions that land you're in school. Everything takes time in the sense if you have to walk to campus or you have to schedule when you go eat or whatever it is, they all add up. So in this way, it was a lot easier to connect with God sitting down in that time, not just when you're praying and walking. I think that also really helped me see that most of the insecurities like I had, I think throughout life about like thinking that other people are actually paying attention to me or um, whatever it is, it's like, no, you're an ant on this planet. No one's paying attention to you. Like in the attention way, I'm saying like the subconscious feeling of like, I can't be goofy. I can't be silly. Those girls are going to judge me for like, I don't dress like an Italian. And I stopped caring about that because I realized it's a Dr. Seuss quote, those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. And so that, but also 
actually recognizing and being accepting, but also grateful in recognizing the worth that God found in me. I think that just made me completely self-satisfied in that way. And so I think that's why I was able to have such an enjoyable time in Europe and Italy was because I no longer like had this I did have discomfort when things were finally open and I would uh, approach a group of girls and be like, hey, can I uh, hang out with you like tonight because I'm here alone? Or whenever I would approach a group or even an individual, it no longer phased me because I would feel I'd recognize a discomfort, but I would also have the discernment of Christ to know is that discomfort because of like danger or discomfort because of my own insecurities as a human, comparing myself, already guessing that they're going to be like a negative outcome. And so I think that really helped me with that and also being completely thrown out of my comfort zone in general. I think that helped me be able to actually recognize my worth, which is interesting because I feel like although it was very hard and maybe much harder being there alone, than being here in America, where like I'm used to the culture. I think it, in a way, was easier for me to connect closer to Christ because I no longer had those comforts to fall upon. And so I could actually see the beauty that he saw in me. I don't know. I think it's easier to fall back on things you're comfortable with. It was nice having that, actually. Yeah, boy, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I'm in my 50s, I'll even say late 50s. And, you know, I still struggle with those things. And so it's so helpful for all of us just to remember that and to focus on who we are Mm -hmm. in God, you know, our identity in Him, who He's made us to be. And I love the Dr. Seuss quote, too. I'm going to remember that. And I'll even post it in our show notes, too. Before like COVID had happened, I had some roommates and maybe I am too much of a hopeless romantic, but I thought it would be like a roommate situation, like friends or like we all have a dinner together once a week and we're all close and stuff. But it wasn't really like that because I think we just had different interests and stuff. But one of the things I recognized, they would not like going out unless it was with other Americans. And I one time asked one of them why and they were like, Well, because what if they don't want us to join them? And that really struck me because, again, I realized that if that person is not in your life, you have nothing to lose. Like rejection is not a thing because they have no place in your life. So you're not losing anything. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that also really helped me. But I think it does all stem from the self-confidence in Christ, not the self-confidence in yourself, because that's where all the insecurities, I think, are heightened. But when that self-confidence is coming from a place of humility and like recognizing Christ's value in you, that is where your own insecurities are diminished. That's awesome. Love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Mackenzie, we'll go ahead and be wrapping up here soon, but is there anything that you would just like to share I think life is too short to be super negative. I think it's definitely valid to be able to be in denial of a struggle you're going through and not want to recognize it. But I think for oneself, own benefit is that tomorrow is not promised. So you don't want to dwell on that too long or you'll miss 
the opportunities that you may have had. All right. Well, you are precious, Mackenzie. I'm so grateful to be able to talk with you and I look forward to meeting you one day in person. Yes, for sure. Thanks everyone for joining us. This is Ellen Bennett with the Extraordinary Lives podcast.